0: Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and lifts you up. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. Would you please turn in your Bibles to Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3. We're going to be there in a moment. We kind of we started a little series, a little study in this book two weeks ago, and last week uh, kind of had a special message to deal with some things in our body, and now this morning we're back at uh, Ezra chapter three. So, um, you know, uh, I remember um, you know we had two of our kids that went to uh, Nyack College down just outside of New York City, and so we got to drive across the Tappan Zee Bridge a number of times over the course of you know, the last 10 years and it was really fascinating to watch the Tappan Zee bridge get built. I don't know if you had the chance to you know they've, they they built a new bridge, right? A brand new bridge there and and the old one is now gone. You you can't even I mean it's just obliterated and now there's just this brand new, beautiful bridge. and uh, But I remember, you know, we'd drive across the old bridge a bunch of times while they were building the new bridge, And, uh, and I remember thinking, man, it seems like they're not doing nothing. They spent like, I don't know how long, I really don't know, but it seemed like forever working on the foundation, and that's all under the water, down at the bedrock of the river. They were down there doing whatever they were doing to get the foundation shored up. And that felt like that took like a really long time. And then it was amazing when they, you know, you'd see it pop up out of the water. You started concrete sticking up out of the water. And then, and then they started laying the steel beams down. And then, and then it felt like the whole thing just went together really quick. But it, it seemed, and I'm just, my impression, because, hey, I'm no engineer. My impression was that it took most of the time. To get that foundation right, because you get that foundation right, and then the project goes right, the building goes right. The foundation is absolutely important. So we're going to look at foundation uh, this morning. We've been we started in this started looking at Ezra because uh, Ezra it, it tells us the story of what happened with God's people as they were coming back out of exile to rebuild their beloved city of Jerusalem. And there's some similarities. I, I don't know about you, but I feel like we've been in a little bit of exile the last five months. And are we even out of it yet? No, probably not totally. It just feels a little bit like that. And so so there's, there's some things I think we can learn from what God's people endured during their time of exile and rebuilding that you and I can grab and, and learn from and be encouraged by. And so uh, we mentioned this last two weeks ago that, that, you know, God had brought judgment. He brought discipline to the people of Judah in the form of the Babylonian Empire who came and completely destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And they took the The Jews away from Jerusalem and dragged them into exile. And they were basically sent to different cities throughout the Babylonian empire. And there they were for 70 years or so, away from their home. And of course, as empires do, they rise, they fall, The Babylonian Empire gave way to the great Persian Empire. Cyrus the Great is the emperor of that that empire. And Cyrus, uh, as we noted two weeks ago, had this bright idea that was really God's idea. We learned that from Ezra 1 verse 1. He had this great idea that was God's idea to let the Jews go back home. And so they began the process of leaving wherever they were in exile and making their way back to Jerusalem. And Zerubbabel is this character that we don't talk about very often, but he's actually a pretty brave dude because he led the first group of people from Babylon back to Jerusalem. And you can imagine that is a daunting task. That requires a very special kind of person to have... uh, the, the nerve, you know, to, to be one of the first ones to, to leave where they were to go back to Jerusalem. And you can only imagine what it is that they faced when they showed up there. It was a wreck. Seventy years of nothing. Seventy years that the city was in, I mean, it was destroyed, gone. And so these people had this huge monumental task before them. And two weeks ago, we noticed that the first thing that they did, do you remember? The first thing they did coming out of exile in the rebuilding process was they built an altar. They built an altar for prayer and for worship. With all that they had to do. I mean, you think about it. A ton of work. Lots of work. It must have been screaming at them every day. And yet, they built an altar for prayer and for worship. And we noted that for us, if we're going to rebuild the way that God would want us to rebuild, if we're going to come out of this time and position ourselves for a future of fruitfulness in serving the Lord, the first thing that we have got to get straight is this. Prayer is primary. We've got to be connected In intimate relationship with Jesus, the only way to do that is through prayer. Jesus said it this way, and it wasn't a put-down. It was a statement of fact that apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus said, he's the vine, we're the branches. So if you and I are not connected to the vine, all we are is a dead stick. And quite honestly, the church has tried to serve God as dead sticks, in my humble opinion. And the Lord is trying to bring His church back to this really important spot—that we are a people first and foremost who love Jesus with all of our hearts. We take prayer seriously, and so we've said prayer is primary. It's what we're going to do as a church, and we won't apologize for it. Have you ever noticed? Well, let me ask this question. So. You know what the first and the greatest commandment is? What is it, everybody? Here's a quiz. First and greatest commandment is love God. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second command is love your neighbor as yourself. Have you ever noticed how we tend to skip the first commandment to obey the second? How often have we disobeyed the first commandment in order to obey the second commandment? Why do we do that? Why do we take the first commandment so lightly? I think I know the reason why. Our flesh feels important when we do something important for God. And it doesn't feel that important to pray. Can I be truthful? There's something about even... The Christian life, like that we, something that appeals to us about the Christian life is that it it gives us a sense of purpose. It gives us a sense of destiny, and that's not a bad thing. It's really not at all. It's just, sometimes my flesh gravitates toward that desire for purpose and meaning and significance more than my spirit. Spirit hungers for connection with Jesus, and the two often get. They they have you, have you noticed like there's this tension in your walk with Jesus between serving Jesus and pursuing Jesus. Can you hear the difference? If we're not aware of that tension, and if we're not constantly working to, of, to, you know, to correct that. We easily slip into. I'm busy serving Jesus. I'm doing things for Jesus, but I actually don't, I'm not even with Jesus. You notice that? And when we do that, we tend to dry up. We get disenfranchised. We get discouraged. We get burned out. It's, it, it This is religion, doing things for Jesus but not with Jesus. That is religion. And so the call of God is, hey, my people, come back. My people, come back. And the prayer is primary. So Zerubbabel knows this. They're rebuilding. They've got all of this work to do. And the first thing they do, build an altar, pray, worship. Because prayer is primary. And we noted last week, two weeks ago, that there were these two prophets who ministered, they preached during this time period. One is Haggai and the other is Zechariah, and we have their books in the Old Testament. And Zechariah preached this word to Zerubbabel. And it's a word that we're pretty familiar with. You hear it a lot in Christian circles. But he said, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. That word was given to Zerubbabel as he faced the task of rebuilding this city of Jerusalem. Zerubbabel, you're going to need a whole new set of tools, pal. The way you did it before, not going to work. You're going to need the power of God if you're going to get this job done, buddy. And the same thing is true for you and me, Church of Jesus Christ, New River Church. We're going to need the power of God if we're going to get this job done because it's not going to happen in our power or our strength. And so we resist the temptation to go running off half-cocked and we insist that we will spend time on our knees. One of the surest signs You know the difference? Hmm. So, uh, you know, Jesus is a shepherd, and shepherds lead. (laughs) The devil's a cattle driver. They drive. You drive cattle, you lead sheep. One of the differences between the devil and Jesus is Jesus leads by his voice, follow me, I'm going here, you come here, and the devil, he's always behind you driving, 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 with the whip, driving, one of the surest ways that you know that you're, whether you're encountering the leading of the spirit or you're encountering something else is by how hurried you are, should I say that again? One of the surest ways that you can tell whether or not you're being led by the Spirit of God or led by some other spirit is how hurried you are to get it done. Jesus leads. Let's not run off before we take time to pray and seek the face of the Lord. Listen, the devil is more than happy to have you destroy your life for a cause as long as you miss Christ in the process. An awful lot of Christian people have destroyed their lives and their families in the name of Christ, but missed Jesus the entire time because they missed this really important principle in the Christian life. And so... They built an altar for prayer and worship. What did they do next? Well, that brings us to Ezra chapter 3. Ezra uh, chapter 3. And we read this. I'll start with verse 7. He says, Then they gave money to the masons and carpenters, and he gave food and drink and olive oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre, so that they would bring cedar logs by sea from Lebanon to Joppa, as authorized by Cyrus, king of Persia. In the second month of the second year after their arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedek, and the rest of the people, the priests and the Levites and all who had returned from the captivity to Jerusalem, began the work. They appointed Levites, 20 years old and older, to supervise the building of the house of the Lord. Joshua and his sons and brothers and Cadmiel and his sons, descendants of Hodaviah, and the sons of Hanadad and their sons and brothers, a lot of sons and brothers, all Levites, they joined together in supervising those working on the house of God. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord the priests in their vestments and the trumpets and with trumpets and the levites the sons of Asaph with cymbals symbols took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David king of Israel Now you understand David had lived hundreds of years before this so he's long dead but they're following in that tradition Does that makes sense so, they, with praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. Would you say that? Let's, let's sing that out loud. Can we do that right now? He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. He is good. Say it at home. He is good. His love towards Israel endures forever. This is what they're singing. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise. And the sound was heard far away. Must have been quite a ruckus, huh? So now go back to to verse 8 real quick. Let's take a look what's happening here. Verse 8 gives us a timeline. You see that in verse 8? We're given a timestamp. That's really cool when the Bible does that. So we're told what? The second month of the second year is when they started this. The second year from their arrival in Jerusalem. Now, if you go back to verse 6, go up a couple verses, it gives you a timestamp of when they built the altar that we talked about last time. time. It says they built the altar in the seventh month of the first year. You see that? So, here's how the timeline worked out. They arrived in Jerusalem. They spent the first six, seven months unpacking their bags. That makes sense. Imagine, they don't have running water, they don't have electricity, you've just finished a four, five, six-month, depending on circumstances, journey across a desert from Babylon to Jerusalem. That's not easy. Okay? Okay. And now they move in, you gotta kinda sell, you gotta set up, you gotta set up house, you gotta dig a couple of wells, you gotta, you know, you do that sort of stuff to get life going again. And then in the seventh month, they built the altar for prayer and worship. And now verse eight tells us that in the second month of the second year, so seven months after that, right? The seventh month, five months left in the first year, two months in the second year. Is my math adding up? So seven months after they built the altar, that's when they started to lay the foundation of the temple. Seven months. All they had was prayer and worship and an altar in the middle of a pile of rubble. Now, as a church, we started back in the beginning of June meeting for prayer here at 9 a.m. And we've had some great times of prayer here, terrific times. We prayed, we did that. We did prayer for like six weeks there. And then uh, three weeks ago, we started having these uh, services like this, and we've been continuing to pray at 1045, continuing in that. And now we've been praying for now like a month and a half, almost two months, right? These guys had nothing but prayer and worship for seven months before they did anything else I don't know how much longer it is that we will pray like this but I I know that I know this we need to continue doing it continue doing it until prayer becomes primary it's got to seep out of our very pores New River Church and we don't move forward until we do until that happens until prayer stops being a little token thing that we do at the beginning of a meeting and the end of a meeting and prayer becomes the meeting prayer becomes primary until we learn how to get into the presence of God to get the heart of God and then make decisions and take action from the heart of God this makes sense So until then, we continue on. They spent seven months. How long will it take us? We don't know. But let's continue to be faithful in that, can we? God has something for us there. Let's not give up. Let's keep pressing forward. And then you notice in verse 8, so they begin to build this foundation. And notice another little detail in verse 8 there. It says that the Levites, 20 years old or older, that the 20-year-old Levites, those are the ones that supervise the work of the temple. Now, that's kind of important. And normally we would just read right over it. What, what's going on there? See, ever since Moses, who had lived well over 1,000 years prior to this time, Ever since the time of Moses, Levites would begin their work of service. They were like priests. They served in the temple. Levites would begin their work of service at the age of 30. That was the age that a Levite would begin their work. And so now here, these guys are 20. So what's up with that? Why are you breaking this 1,000-plus-year-old tradition in your religion to have 20-year-old Levites start to work? Well, the best answer probably is desperate times. I mean, these are a group of exiles, after all. They are are coming back out of a tough 70 years, and they're rebuilding, and probably didn't have as many Levites as they once had before, and so if you're 20, you count, you know, you're in. But there's a great lesson for you and me in this, New River Church. I don't know what your service, I don't know what you did or didn't do uh, in service to the Lord in New River Church prior to March. Thank you for all of your work. But I know this, now's a great time to get involved. Now's a fantastic time to begin using your gifts to serve, because we need you. We do. There are things that you can do. If you never thought that there was a place for you before, I want you to know there is a place for you now. And so you're going to need to be trained. You're going to need to be equipped. You're going to, you know, we're going to need to talk. We're going to need to get some things ready for you. But now's a great time. Now's a great time to get involved. And then you notice what these guys built they built the house of the Lord. Isn't that something? Before they built any other building in Jerusalem, they built this temple. Now, they only got as far as the foundation because that's where, how far we read this morning. So they didn't even build the building yet, but they were laying the foundation for this temple. Why would they do that? Because the temple, you see, it represents the, 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 the system um, in which people can grow in their relationship with God. There's prayer and there's worship, but then there, there really are... Things that need to be done in order to grow in your relationship with Jesus. Does this make sense? Sometimes we treat our spiritual growth like somehow it's magic. Like you just pray and suddenly I'm just like Jesus. It doesn't work that way. Have you noticed that? And there are days you don't feel like reading your Bible and there are days you don't feel like praying and there's days you don't feel like doing, you know, what you need to do, but you do it. Why? Because it's essential to your growth in your relationship with Jesus. And the temple represented the place. For these people, it represented the place where that happened. You got the Levites with their vestments and their teaching, and you got the, it's where the kids were taught. It's, it's where they had their, their system of their sacrifices and their calendar with their festivals. And all of that was a very important part of their growth and their relationship with God. And, and we need that. As well, you know, grace is not opposed. Grace is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. And the Church of Jesus Christ needs to understand that difference. I'm, I'm saved by grace. Listen, it costs for you to get saved. Costs you nothing. Jesus paid the whole price. But if you want to become like Jesus. That's going to cost you everything. That will require work. It doesn't, you don't have to work to get saved. But if you want to be anything like Jesus, that's going to require a lot of work on your part. It's going to require a lot of dying to yourself, like we talked about last Sunday, on your part and mine. It just is. It just is. There's no substitute for it. And so the very second thing that Zerubbabel and the people of Judah built was a temple so that they could have a place, a system where that the people could continue on in their relationship with God. You know, as we rebuild, as we rebuild as a church, and we are rebuilding, as we, and, and it's not just New River, you understand that? I mean... Uh, it's, you know, every local church is rebuilding in this time. It, we really are. If, if somehow you think that, oh, we're just, everything's beautiful. We just continue. Uh, I, you're not living on the same planet that the rest of us are living in. I mean, we got decimated over the last five months. We're in a rebuilding phase. And as we rebuild, we need to recognize the first step is prayer, worship prayer primary we get that down and then the second part is we've got to figure out our foundation we've got to get we've got to we got to sure up the foundation so that then we can begin to build the system again where we can actually grow and and become more and more like christ what's our what's our foundation what's the foundation of the church It's jesus You know, the Jews, they had a physical foundation, right? They had a slab of rock. That's what they had. You and I, Scripture defines our foundation for us. It's Christ. It's an understanding of Christ. It's recognizing who Jesus is. It's acknowledging his lordship in our lives. It's Christ. A proper understanding of Jesus. One of the things that... um, has become apparent throughout the church, at least the church in America in the last five months, has been um, that we tend to take our cues from culture and not from heaven. We are far too easily influenced and dragged around by culture. And the Lord wants to correct that We need to be more biblically literate, friends. We do. By that I mean we need to, the Bible has got to shape how we see the world. This this is who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. Either this is true or it's not. And if this is true, then it needs to shape how I see the world around me. And so we need to make a decision. Is this true? Because if it is, some things need to change. We, we need to make... We need to be more biblically literate. This needs to seep into our souls and influence the way that we see the world, influence the way that we see life. So that's the second step. Get down, sure up the foundation. Make sure that thing's good and solid before we start building on that foundation. We said, as I said earlier, during this time period, you know, well, let me back up. I don't know how that sits with you. Maybe you're like, maybe you think I've got two heads and you say, you're crazy. I don't even get this. Just let's, what are you talking about all this stuff for? Let's just keep doing church, man. Let's just do it. I mean, come on, we already know what church is. Let's just do it. Maybe that's your thinking. And maybe some of the others are saying, yeah, you're right. We need to get down to that foundation. We got to make sure we get that built right. I don't know how you're reacting to this message this morning. But it's interesting to see the reaction of the people in, in Ezra. You see that? They were pretty divided, weren't they? you got the young crowd and they're thrilled they're like man this this is so cool we got the foundation laid like they're all stoked about it and then you got the old folks <laughs> they weren't so happy were they but i mean think about the old folks here they were pretty old i mean you got to give them kudos these guys remember they were in exile for 70 years these guys remembered the former temple So you figure they might have been kids, young people during that time, and they got taken away. So these folks survived the invasion of Jerusalem, dragged away to Babylon, survived 70 years in Babylon. That makes them in their 80s, at least. And then they survive a six-month, five, six-month journey across the desert back to Jerusalem. I mean, these are some tough people, (laughs) And these guys are looking at the, they're looking at this foundation and they're going, oh, it's not like it used to be. Oh, I remember the old days. Oh, that was, now that was a beautiful temple. Oh, that was awesome. This is nothing. Look at this little thing. Oh, this is terrible. And you got the crowd. Some of them are laughing, cheering, and some of them are crying and weeping. And they're making a real scene. I love how Ezra tells us that, that they're so loud that the sound could be heard from miles away. These guys are just making what a ruckus they're making. And so they're weeping and laughing and weeping and laughing and weeping and laughing. And in the middle of this crowd, like I said earlier, you've got Zechariah and you have Haggai. And they're both preaching at this time. And it's very interesting when you cross these books together in your Bible, uh, because they go together, and you see what Zechariah says to them. Can you imagine? Have I set the scene? You get the scene in your mind? The ruckus, these guys. They're at this foundation, and it's, you get the picture? And Zechariah takes the mic, and Zechariah starts preaching, and he says this in Zechariah chapter 4. Verses 8 to 10. He says, Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who dares despise the day of small things? since the seven eyes of the Lord that reigns throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. The seven eyes of the Lord is just a prophetic way to say that God sees perfectly. And he's saying, God sees this perfectly. Zerubbabel laid the foundation. He's going to have the capstone. That's the final finishing touch on the temple. So Zerubbabel's going to see this thing all the way through to the end, folks. And then he gives him this little line that maybe you've heard before. I know I've certainly used it before. Do not despise the day of small things. You see this? It's just a slab of rock. (sighs) What could ever come out of that slab of rock? No. Can you see the temple on that rock? You know, you see this acorn. Can you see the oak in the acorn? Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Here it is. And, and do, you, do you see us? New, look, can you look at us, New River Church? Can I tell you, it's a little depressing. I mean, I'm not saying that against you. I t- hope you understand. We feel this the same way, right? It's like, oh, man, I remember January, you know, our serving team, like we were meeting, we were trying to figure out how to do Easter because we were packing the place out, and we were thinking, okay, maybe we need a third service. Maybe we need to do parking. So, you know, we're like, we're trying to figure this out. We're like, that was only five months ago. And here we are. You, you see what I mean? And so Zechariah goes, Hey. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. You're just getting started. It's okay. Can you see the oak in the, the oak in the acorn? Can you see that? Look at, we're starting with prayer. What are you doing? We're praying. Just prayer. Okay, don't despise just prayer. God can do more with 3 people committed to prayer than he can do with 3000 people committed to something else. I mean, come on. And so we have hope. We hold out hope. We know and then and then imagine, okay, imagine the crowd. They're over there, and, and you got, by now, Zechariah, he's set his impassioned plea. And, and you can hear it, the, the cheers are starting to, they're like, hey. Uh, and, and the weepers, they're going, they're, start, they're sniffling, they're quieting down. And Zechariah hands the microphone over to Haggai. And Haggai says this. Ready? Haggai chapter 2 verses 18 and 19. Haggai goes from this day on from this 24th day of the ninth month give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought he says is there yet any seed left in the barn got any seed left until now the vine and the fig tree the pomegranate and the olive tree they've not borne fruit look at that read that from this day on I will bless you says the Lord from this day on Haggai's like you got any seed left Come on, plant it, because God's going to bless it. You know, you you don't plant seed in uncertain times. You think about how much faith that must have required for them, right? Because, I mean, everything is up in the air for them. Everything, everything, everything is uncertain for them. And for them, it's not like they just go out to Agway and get another packet of seeds. Like, literally, the seeds from this year have to be for next year and, you know, and if they lose that, they are really in trouble. So, can, so you can get, appreciate the kind of faith that it must have taken for them in the middle of this uncertain time to take out this seed and stick it in the ground and trust the Lord with it. And that's what Haggai tells them to do. Zechariah, you see how these two preachers come together? In such a powerful way. You, you, all you got's a seed. Zechariah says, don't despise the day of small things. It's a seed. Haggai goes, hey, you got any seed left in your barn? Grab it. Let's put that in the ground. God says, I'm gonna bless you. And so friends, we take this, we take this to heart for ourselves and we say, okay, God, what have you given us to plant? What we have is little, we don't have much, but what we have, we give to you. And we trust you with it. And we believe, God, that you're going to bless as we move forward. And there's just one more piece, and uh, I didn't put a slide in there for this, and I apologize for it, because it's super good. But Psalms 126, it's one of those psalms of ascent, Jonathan, you were talking about. But this psalm, honestly we don't know when it was written, but it could very well have been written during this time. Uh, Many of the songs of ascent were written during this time period in their history. So it's not a stretch to think that this psalm could have been written maybe even on that day with half of them crying, half of them happy, and Zechariah and Haggai preaching their guts out. Maybe this psalm was written at this point. But here, it's Psalms 126. And I just, uh, he says this. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Hmm. Those who sow, oh no, restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. I hope this morning that the Word of God has infused your heart like it has mine with hope that says here we are at this weird time in human history (laughs) where so much is uncertain, but we will, with faith, connect our hearts to Jesus in prayer. We will shore up the foundation to gain a proper understanding. We got to know this book, we got to know it inside and out. It's got to influence everything we are and do. We will do that. We're going to take our little seed, whatever that is, you know, we're going to give and make investments serve make investments knowing right now it doesn't make sense but someday it will we sow with joy we sow with sadness it says we bring back sheaves with joy oh let's bow our heads in prayer Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.